Chris Kauser here with Matt Howell. On this episode of The First Run, Matt and I are going to discuss the latest Sandman movie, the Netflix exclusive Hustle. We'll also be reviewing You Won't Be Alone, the uh, international horror film, Matt, with a brand new sort of take on the witch genre. And then we'll be sharing our five favorite dramatic turns by comedians. Don't worry. We're still going to tell you what's coming up on physical media, featuring your streaming and straight DVD picks of the week. But Matt's on vacation this week, technically, though. So we did a big all-streaming episode just for you. Let's start everything off with a clip from Hustle. Do you love this game? I mean, love it with your whole heart. Because if you don't, let's not even bother. Let's not open that door. They're just going to slam it right in our face. I love this game. I live this game. There's a thousand other guys waiting in the wings who are obsessed with this game. Obsession's going to be talent every time. You got all the talent in the world, but are you obsessed? Is it all you ever think about? Let's face it, it's you against you out there. When you walk on that court, you have to think I am the best guy out there. I don't care if LeBron's playing. So let me ask you again. Do you love this game? Yes. Is there a newborn kitten purring in here right now? I couldn't hear you. Do you want to be in the NBA? Yes! Well, let's make that happen. Never back down. Matt, I have one question for you. Hmm. Do you love this genre? <laughs> Do you? Is there no. a newborn kitten purring in here? <laughs> Do you love the sports coming up and defying the odds? Hoosiers, natural sports drama genre? No, I don't. I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't. <laughs> Matt, what is the Sandman up to this time? What is Hustle all about? All right, so Adam Sandler plays a professional basketball scout named Stanley Sugarman. Um, he's a scout for the 76ers, and he has a reputation for being a true evaluator of talent. He's looking for something more, though. On one of his, hopefully he plans to be his last scouting trips, um, he heads to Barcelona, Spain, and um, he <laughs> is unable to meet with the guy he's there to see and wandering the city streets he sees a street ball pickup game um and is stunned by a basketball player there named bo cruz played by real life celtics player i'm gonna butcher this i'm sorry wancho hernan gomez um nailed, I it. nailed it guys spanish me <laughs> um and uh convinces him to you know give him a shot help him uh, mentor him coach him and get him ready for the combine in the nba draft there you go and matt let me tell you it is a film we have seen hundreds of times <laughs> before about the self-doubting athlete and can he really do it then he hits the coach or the scout whatever the case may be who fills him up with the confidence and he's able to do it there's a touching scene with his family i mean matt this movie hits all of your typical sports movies cliches yeah. nails it you have the montages we have the confidence issues there's challenges there's losses we're overcoming all of these obstacles matt but i'll say this it's done very well mm. it may wrap up a little too neatly 
but I think it makes for fine family viewing. Matt, I found the film delightful. Mm-hmm. This was a throwback almost to me of the of like a Disney movie from like the 80s yeah. when you would watch together, you know. And uh, I think it features a great kind of lived-in performance by, by Adam Sandler. Mm-hmm. Not as intense or as interesting as his Uncut Gems turn, obviously. And also, I'll say Hernan Gomez, too. I think there's a fine job in this film. And I think Sandler may have been e- has now eased into his prime. Mm-hmm. I think he kind of knows what he's doing now. He's comfortable with who he is. And there's no goo-goo-dee-goo-goo-goo. I mean, that Sandler guy, <laughs> I think, for the most part, hopefully we're done with that. Uh-huh. Though, don't get me wrong. I like Billy Madison in Happy Gilmore. Right. But that seems to have been the end of my Sandler love. I think I mostly despised everything else he's done in a, as a comedic turn. Maybe Wedding Singer. Maybe okay. Wedding Singer. Yeah. Okay. All right. But that'd be it. <laughs> yeah. I think that's fair. So, but I think this is kind of like uh, Uncut Gems. He, I think, still should have had an Oscar nomination for that. Blows my mind that he didn't get one. But um, here, just very authentic. And I was rather impressed with him and this film. What are your thoughts? Yeah. So, I mean, as I said in the opening, I don't really enjoy this type of film. I think it's kind of uh, hackneyed. And, and while I do like some sports and I respect it, and I just, oftentimes it just doesn't translate well to the screen. And it always, like you said, feels too kind of pat um, and too kind of feel goody yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but this, I think, like Chris said, is very well done. It's very entertaining. The basketball shots, a sport that I'm not really into, Same. is is very, you know, very watchable. It's very well done. It's done flashy and exciting. You know, I like the kind of bringing in of, of real players and all that kind of stuff, giving them their chance to kind of give an acting turn kind of thing. And it really comes from obviously a place that you can tell Sandler and the director of this film, they really must love basketball. Like they really, really love it. And that kind of comes through, you know, if you're not a basketball fan, I think you can still enjoy this. If you are, I think you'll probably enjoy it more. I thought it was a pretty solid, you know, piece of dadtainment, right? I think think it's got more universal appeal than that, but I I think so. But I tell you, again, to reiterate what Matt's saying about to me not being a big basketball fan. I know Sandler is a huge basketball mm-hmm. fan. Mm-hmm. And I'm never, I'm not. I just, I don't think I've, I've probably watched a handful of games in my entire life. Right. So much so that when I saw Anthony Anderson's name pop up in the credits, I'm thinking, Goose? Goose is in this? <laughs> no, there's actually a basketball player who named, who's named right. Anthony Edwards. Right. He's in the movie. Right. So, so for- that should tell you. For everybody's reference, I am a football fan, both college and pro. Chris mm-hmm. is a very big pro baseball fan. And that's really the end of our of the first round sports fandom, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. I'm, I'll watch the Jets lose. Um, <laughs> but that's about it when it comes to football as well. And I will watch yeah. football. Though. And I'll watch a little hockey once in a while down yeah. here. Yeah. RIP bolts. But yeah. Um, yeah. So. I mean, here's the thing. I really like hockey. And I, I think... Oh, hockey's great. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to digress a little bit. The only reason... The thing... I respect hockey, basketball, and, and baseball. The only thing that keeps me from really diving into them is that their season's too long. I don't have the attention span for 80, mm. 160 games. Like, I just can't. I can't deal with that. Give me football, 16 games. I'm good. Let's go. Fair. <laughs> so, um, let's talk about hustle. Okay. So, <laughs> it's, let's see here. So, I liked kind of the inside baseball, inside basketball stuff too, right? With the how the coaches work and the scouts and the owners. I thought that was interesting. But I want to particularly want to praise director Jeremiah Zagar. 
I think he's able to take a plainly kind of tired sports movie trope uh, and make it into an engaging affair with, I think, heartfelt stakes. And I want to see, I guess, what Sandler watched a movie he did called We the Animals and said, I want to work with this guy. And this is a movie that's been favorably compared to Moonlight, Mm. which is a great film. So I definitely want to check out We the Animals. But again, Matt, crowd-pleasing, family-friendly you know, uplifting sports movie entertainment. It's 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 a good time. It's as I said, you've seen this movie a thousand times, but it's done well. So I'm gonna give it a B minus. I think it runs sounds a little lower than the way I was talking about it, but mm-hmm. I think this because it's a it's a film we've seen a hundred times. It's just done well, so I'll give it the B minus. Where do you fall? Yeah, um, yeah, I think that's right. I think I'm going to give it a B minus as well. I think it's good for what it is. I don't think it breaks any new ground or anything like that. Oh, no. um, I think it's right where it belongs. It's a Netflix, solid Netflix uh, entry. And compared to what some of their quote unquote original films are, it's you could do <laughs> much, much worse. Absolutely. If you had a chance to see Hustle, which is currently playing, as Matt said, on Netflix, shoot us an email at feedback at thefirstrun.com. Matt, coming up on uh, UHD and Blu-ray this upcoming Tuesday. I'm just going to say it. One of the greatest films of all time. He's always right. This channel is an up-and-coming fighter. He's good-looking. He's popular. You beat him now. Oh, excuse me. Excuse me. What do you mean good-looking? I'm not saying good-looking. I'm saying popular. If you yeah, win. What were you to say about good-looking? I didn't say anything. I'm just telling you, you're always right. Hey, what, what? What are you, an authority or what? Get out of here. Get out of Take the baby and get out of here. Everybody all of a sudden's in a diary about this. She's telling me, where'd she find out he's good looking, first of all? She didn't mean nothing. Who is she? You can start with me now? When people are talking, you don't interrupt. It's none of your business. Especially if it's my brother and his wife. It got nothing to do with you. Now get out of here. Go inside. Get out. Take the baby inside. Sleep the grouch. You see okay? Change your diapers. Can you see? She's, like, she's going to cry. She stinks. You make her cry. I'm going to make you cry. Yeah. Matt, it's the film Martin Scorsese should have won a uh, Best Director nomination for. Uh, Raging Bull is getting released by Criterion in a Blu-ray and or a UHD. A brand new 4K restoration approved by Scorsese. Uh, a new video essays of, on the film. Three audio commentaries. Uh, some behind-the-scenes featurettes and interviews, and more. I only own Raging Bull on DVD, so I will be upgrading to the uh, 4K on this one. You a fan of Raging Bull? Yeah, you must. Yeah, I like it a lot. It's great. There you go. Peter Jackson's documentary on the Beatles' Get Back is coming out. There's a three-disc set. The first disc is on the band gathering at the Twickenham Film Studios to rehearse for a concert. Disc two is the rehearsals. That continue at Apple Studios as things improve in the band. And then disc three is the famous rooftop concert. Uh, what else? RLG Entertainment is releasing The Twin featuring Teresa Palmer. Following the aftermath of a tragic accident that claimed the life of one of their twins, Rachel and Anthony relocate to the other side of the world with their surviving son. What begins as a time of healing in the quiet Scandinavian countryside, Matt, soon takes an ominous turn when Rachel begins to unravel the torturous truth about her son, and confronts the malicious forces there trying to take hold of him. Matt, a movie called Black Sight, featuring some of the big stars of the late 90s and mid-early aughts. You have Michelle Monaghan, Jason Clark, and Jay Courtney, all featured in this film about a group of officers based in a labyrinthine, top-secret, must-fight-for-their-lives-against-the-hatchet 
a brilliant and infamous high-value detainee when he escapes his mysterious and deadly agenda has far-reaching and dire consequences. Really just adding effect there. Mm-hmm. D. Calder is releasing The Montana Story, which I've heard some pretty good things about. It follows two estranged siblings as they return home to their sprawling ranch that they once knew and loved. Kino Orber is putting out Mondo Kane. Toronto is a ghost town, Matt, that no one dares to enter. The poorest are left fighting for their survival while gangs are competing for territory. Two 13-year-old orphans who grew up together dream of joining one of the gangs. Includes a behind-the-scenes documentary. Huda's Salon, a woman whose visit to her hair salon turns into a nightmare when she is blackmailed by its owner. Wolfhound, inspired by the real-life German Special Operations Unit KG-200 that shot down, repaired, and flew Allied aircraft as Trojan horses. Wolfhound takes place in 1944 German-occupied France and follows the daring exploits of the Jewish-American fighter pilot Captain David Holden. Ambushed behind enemy lines, Holden must rescue a captured B-17 Flying Fortress crew, evade a ruthless enemy stalking him at every turn, and foil a plot that can completely alter the outcome of World War II. Pompo the Cinephile is being released from Shout. This is the animated film getting a Blu-ray push. Includes an audio commentary by the director and crew, as well as feature-length storyboards. New to Blu-ray, along with Raging Bull Matt, Criterion is putting out David Lean's Summertime featuring Catherine Hepburn with a brand new 4K restoration. Warner Archive is putting out The Frisco Kid. This is the Gene Wilder Harrison Ford film. Paramount Presents is giving us Rough Cut featuring Burt Reynolds, Leslie Ann Down, and David Niven. That gets a brand new 4K restoration. Paramount is also putting out the Steve Martin, Deborah Winger movie Leap of Faith. Shout Factory is kicking out Felicity Huffman and Jane Fonda in Georgia Rule with an audio commentary by Gary Marshall, some deleted scenes, and more. Kino's putting out Steel Justice. This is that Martin Cove uh, B action movie that came out in the uh, 80s, getting a Blu-ray release. Safe Men, featuring Sam Rockwell, Steve Zahn, and Paul Giamatti, is getting its Blu-ray release. Code Red putting out Terror Circus, which includes a previously remastered from the original camera negative and a born-again Return to Terror Circus interview documentary. A bunch of catalog stuff getting back into print, Matt. Domestic Disturbance featuring John Travolta and Vince Vaughn. Down to Earth from Chris, uh, featuring Chris Rock. Changing Lanes featuring Ben Affleck and Sam L. Jackson. And then Last Holiday with Queen Latifah all coming back into the market. The $6 million man is getting a complete series Blu-ray release if you are a fan. And your UHD pick, Matt, we've got two things coming out. First up, Temple of Doom is getting its individual 4K release. Mm. And then uh, Alan Parker's Angel Heart gets a Steelbook release in 4K. Your straight-to-DVD pick of the week. I'm going to go with... I got two here, Matt. I'm not sure which one to go with. You want to go with A or B? Uh, Let's go A-team. All right, The Dead and the Damned. From the director of The Dead and the Damned comes a high-octane sequel in a savage land where zombies roam freely. Lieutenant Colonel Sawyer is armed with machine guns, body armor, and courage. He is on a mission, Matt, to give his family a burial at sea. To reach the coast, he must enter a quarantine-infected zone and fight through hordes of bloodthirsty zombies. There he encounters a group of survivors, including a young woman, who is a target of both the male survivors and the ravenous zombies. To protect the least, excuse me, to protect the last non-infected humans and complete his mission, Colonel Sawyer must face the dead, the damned, and the darkness. 
Your other option, Matt, was a Christmas movie. So I guess you made the right choice. What should no, we be okay. streaming this week? Maybe. So um, I'm going to recommend um, the third season of The Umbrella Academy, the uh, Netflix series that is based off of the comic book of the same name by Gerard Way of My Chemical Romance fame and um, Gabriel Ba. Stars uh, follows the adventures of a group of adopted siblings um, who all happen to have superpowers and the dysfunctional family dynamic that they have and the constant strive to prevent the end of the world uh stakes keep getting higher um it's a lot of fun it's pretty ridiculous there's a footloose dance scene in it um which i thought was hilarious and i really enjoyed so uh check it out uh all three seasons are now available on uh, netflix i haven't seen a season of mm-hmm. that show so okay all right yeah it's pretty fun it's a pretty good show i'd give it a good solid uh bb plus there you go thanks matt and let's keep the show going and spend a few minutes talking about the witch movie. No, not the witch. Or the witch. No, this is You Won't Be Alone. Wrong clip. Notice the change in the music there, how it mm-hmm. goes from this intense kind of scary thing and then this whimsical, beautiful little piano piece. Yeah. And I feel like that is a, a nice auditory explanation on what You Won't Be Alone is. It's not an intense horror, Robert Eggers kind of witch type of experience, right? Mm-hmm. In fact, I don't think the film even has this saturated kind of permeating feeling of dread that some films horror films go with maybe not so focused on scares which again is not an obligation but this kind of just unending feeling that something horrible is going to happen Mm -hmm. this film is well all right let's reset what's it about right so it's 19th century macedonia and this young peasant girl well let's further back or which appears to possibly take, eat, whatever, this young baby. And this woman makes a deal with her. Leave her with me until she's 16. And then she'll serve you as a, as like one of your maidens and do whatever you want to the witch. And then she hides her daughter basically in a religious cave shrine thing to protect her. And then one day she leaves. The witch kind of comes. And then she follows the witch and becomes kind of like her buddy and her pal. Uh, but things don't work out. They separate, and the witch is like, fine, you don't want to be with me? Go on your own. You're a witch now. They're going to kill you at the first chance they can, basically, right? Mm-hmm. But one of the key things, right, is that she can shapeshift. She can actually take on the appearance of other things, animals, people. Um, uh, I'm sure lots of other wonderful objects. So <laughs> the point of that, the shapeshifting, I think, Matt, serves an entire purpose in the film, which I think may end up being, for me, one of the film's undoings. I think 
I enjoy a subversive take on a classic horror trope, the genre, mm-hmm. the witch film. Mm-hmm. And this is a take on that. This is more of a feminist take on the witch film, right? At least that's how I view it. What are your thoughts on You Won't Be Alone? Um, okay. So first I looked it up. This is a Serbian film, folks. This is a Serbian film. Okay. <laughs> not not a Serbian. Macedonia. Right. But I think that's because that's what it was called a long At time, the time ago. Yeah. All right. But not, like you said, it's not a Serbian film. It just no. happens to be a Serbian film. Yes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the thing. I would disagree in this. I don't mean to come off as confrontational here, but I think the idea that this is a feminist deconstruction of the winch genre is, is a little narrow, maybe a little reductive. I feel like this is more of a humanist take on the witch genre because the whole point of the shape-shifting is for this young witch who is unable to speak um, due to an injury that happened to her when she was a child. She's been locked in a cave for 16 years, um, has not seen another human soul besides her mother, and she's kind of forced to go out and experience the world for the first time. And she kind of runs the gamut of experiencing life as a woman, experiencing as a life as a man, and then experiencing life as a child, right? And mm-hmm. they all kind of progress, and she kind of experiences those different things. This film is an interesting, I think, lead-in to our Malik marathon, because this struck me as a Absolutely. very Malik-esque film. And I feel like this is... This is the tree of life as a witch film. This is not, yep. like I said, I don't think, I think it's reductive to say it's, it's feminist because I feel like it's more humanist and it's more kind of giving you this broad scope of what the human condition was at this, maybe at this time in this place and even more broadly than that. I think saying it's a horror film, I think does it a disservice. It doesn't really seem like a horror film. It seems yeah. like a more artsy meditation on the human condition. If I'm going to be really navel gazing here. I think, you know what? I think you're right about that. I do think the feminist take part of it is, I think we do seem to focus more on the trials and pains that women experience than we Mm -hmm. do men. I think there is more time spent on toxic masculinity and the role of women in a patriarchal society, particularly back in the 19th century. Um, I think the horrors that women have to endure as opposed to just the, casual shaming that the man experiences in the film it's much more than the women who are i think we get what two rapes in the movie now i will say they try and balance it out we get a lot of peens that are taken out in this film (laughs) they get cut out quite literally right so but i think it's you're right i I mean the overarching film is an examination basically on uh, patriarchy on trauma generational trauma toxic masculinity and i guess to yes i think that's finally i think that's fair matt i think that i enjoy kind of these i don't know if it's subversive take on the genre is really the right term Mm -hmm. but you're right it does have a malik light feel to it i think perhaps a bit too much Mm. i think that it sacrifices it's scares because i tell you it's certainly sold kind of as a horror film for the right. most part, when it's really, right. as you said, I don't think it really is. Another part issue too, this is a minor quibble. I felt that the um, the rubber suit, basically, that the original main old maiden witch wears that reflects the burning she experienced mm-hmm. was a bit 
don't know, something I've seen before and not exceptionally well done. Mm-hmm. Um, though I'd say when we finally get her backstory, I found that to be particularly effective. Mm-hmm. Um, the horror that she in- encountered, again, in a male-dominated society. So, I mean, I enjoyed the message, but I didn't find the film that particularly engaging. No. It basically is where I ended up with it. So, I mean, I kind of look at this as like, again, are we missing something in the cultural telling? Um, and I think it's telling that when they tell the story of Old Maid Maria, they first describe it as tell us a scary story. And the story that gets told is a sad one. It's a tragic story. And I don't know. Like, I think there are a lot of things. There's a lot of different interpretations of this thing. You know, it asks you to kind of identify with this thing that kills people. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's kind of regardless of what you think, it, it does kill people and take over their their lives. And I think it's quite effective that way. I rather enjoy it. I think it's more as kind of a lyrical kind of visual poem thing. I think it works. I don't think it's very good, effective as a horror movie. I don't think it's very effective necessarily as, you know, a societal critique because it's not, uh, I don't understand a lot about uh, medieval, you know, uh, Serbian society or what that's like. But yeah, I think overall there's enough here that I think people connect, can connect to it if it's, if you're of a particular bent, as I'm very fond of saying. Yes. Uh, yeah. No, I think that's fair. I think that's a pretty good explanation of it. It's, I don't know. At the end, I think I found out just a little too nail, as you said, navel gazy, even as you said earlier in your own description. Actually, that was one of the notes I had. It, I think it may cu- get cut up a little bit too much in its own message of what it's trying to say. I mean, it does have some nice, beautiful shots, mm-hmm. these lingering nature shots, a la, as you said, Malik. It absolutely does. And it's just not, it's, it's okay. It's 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 all right. It's just like Matt said. Don't go into this what, expecting to get your pants scared off. There's a lot more. Right. Um, this is more metaphor than it is horror film. Um, mm-hmm. not, not even metaphor. It's more just uh, message, I should say, than it is scare. Yeah, it's more of a dark fable, we'll say. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I ended up giving you won't be alone a B minus, Matt. I yeah, I think I liked it a little bit better than that. I think I, I gave it a B plus. Okay. Which is weird because... Usually it's the opposite. Chris enjoys the navel gazing more than I do, but yes. I guess it flip flops every once in a while. Especially with the movies that are trying to make some type of point or message as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So if you had a chance to see You Won't Be Alone, it is currently streaming as part of Peacock's paid tier. You, uh, I'm sure you can rent it, though, on most of your streaming services as well, if you'd like yeah. to see it. So uh, shoot us an email, feedback at thefirstrun.com. All right, Matt, let's close out the big show. And spend a few minutes sharing our five favorite dramatic turns by a comedian. I think that's how you say it. <laughs> Here you go, buddy. Next. Welcome, welcome. Take a load off. Before we talk phones, let's talk you. I'm guessing from our brief acquaintance that you're a fella who, occasionally, through no fault of your own, uh, finds yourself in a Donnybrook or two. Yeah, a um, knuckle duster. A fist fight. I'm thinking you might be someone who partakes of the herb of the earth. I'm guessing that you ladies are popular with the fellas. And this could lead to a misunderstanding with the boys in blue. Say hello to my little friend. See right there? Circled in red. It's pre-programmed. Ready to go. Number one on the speed dial goes directly to me. You press that. 
Here you go, buddy. Next. Welcome, welcome. Take a load off. Before we talk phones, let's talk you. I'm guessing from our brief acquaintance that you're a fellow who, occasionally, through no fault of your own, uh, finds yourself in a Donnybrook or two. Yeah, a um, knuckle duster. A fist fight. I'm thinking you might be someone who partakes of the herb of the earth. I'm guessing that you ladies are popular with the fellas, and this could lead to a misunderstanding with the boys in blue. Say hello to my little friend. See right there, circled in red, pre-programmed, ready to go. Number one on the speed dial goes directly to me. You press that, and poof, I'm there. Next! All right, Matt, I had to squeeze it in there somehow, because it's not a movie, but I got to give some praise to my boy, Saul Goodman, uh, Bob Odenkirk. In uh, Better Call Saul, my favorite current television show. Some great, great stuff. Have you, where are you in Better Call Saul? Have you been watching that at all? No. So basically, I I didn't even finish. I have not seen any of this new season. I was like only made it about halfway through of the previous season. So I really want to kind of go back and just start from the beginning and just watch it through. Because I, I really need to revisit it to kind of fully appreciate it, I think. Yeah, well, the last all the seasons are on Netflix except the most recent one, so mm-hmm. you could uh, definitely catch up on that. So, all right, that's my honor, one of my honorable mentions because again, not a film. Matt, why don't you start us off? What is your fifth favorite dramatic turn by a comedian? All right, so using the term comedian for this person is is maybe a bit of a misnomer. They're I don't find them particularly funny, but I thought they were a good <laughs> a good turn um, in this in this movie. So. In uh, Darren Aronofsky's feel-good hit of the summer of uh, whatever it was, 1999, in Requiem for a Dream, starring Jared Leto and Jennifer Connelly as as drug addicts. Um, and there's a turn by Marlon Wayans of white girls fame, of scary movie fame, um, which, again, you will see why I use the term comedian very loosely. But nominally, Ouch. he was somebody whose career was based on the jokes that he made, despite the good how good those jokes were in the first place but i think his turn in requiem for a dream is a very solid performance um you know i don't know why he as far as i know hasn't really returned to dramatic acting because i guess there is a little bit something there maybe a lot more than his uh comedic chops i would say ouch all right my Uh, number five then i think i'm gonna go with i actually had an answer but i think i'm gonna swap out at the last minute okay i am I'm going to go with Jerry Lewis in The King of Comedy, Scorsese's film with, um, you may have heard of the kind of a loose remake of a combination of Taxi Driver and then this movie with a movie called Joker Mm -hmm. that is supposedly one of the greatest films of the past um, thousand years. And, uh, but no, Jerry Lewis, comedy icon, plays basically a talk show host and, um, Bobby D's character wants to be a comedian as well. And he becomes obsessed with him and he can't get on this guy's show. who He desperately wants to be on the show and he kidnaps him basically mm-hmm. and forces him to put him on his show or he's going to murder him. And Lewis is fantastic in this after seeing stuff like the nutty professor and all the stuff he's done. And uh, just to see him take this turn, this fully realized character that he puts on, it's fantastic. So I had to throw Jerry Lewis there. He's my number five in The King of Comedy. You know, I've never seen The King of Comedy. I actually, I think, watched it just for the first time like a year or so ago, two years ago, whatever it was when Joker was coming out. 
Mm-hmm. And I felt like, you know what? I better see this. I've, obviously, I've seen Taxi Driver, but I hadn't seen King of Comedy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's when I did that. All right. It's good. It's quite right. good. I'll have to check it out. All right. So, my number four is another actor from the Living Color stable. I'm talking about Jamie Foxx in Chris's all-time favorite movie, Collateral. Plays Max the Taxi Driver. Um, opposite a creepy yet most Tom Cruise performance of, of any Tom Cruise performance. And this is kind of mm-hmm. developed therefore when this came out, uh, the bromance between Jamie Foxx and uh, Tom Cruise before Jamie Foxx started dating Tom Cruise's ex-wife. Um, so there was that there was a bit of falling out there, but I think his turn is kind of a, an understated. Every man is, is pretty solid in, uh, in, in collateral, a film that I think Chris has warmed up a little bit. I have. That. I picked up that UHD a few weeks ago. Twelve bucks. Yeah. I mean, how do you? How do you not? Yeah. Sure. I don't like being mocked. All right. My number four <laughs> uh, is Albert Brooks in a movie that I can't talk about, where he plays a gangster who gets brought in on a deal f- to help finance a race car, and things unfortunately go south. I, of course, I'm talking about Drive. One of my favorite scenes is when uh, Ryan Reynolds' driver character meets him. He goes, oh, my hands aren't clean. And he goes, neither are mine. And he shakes his hand. And it's mm-hmm. uh, it's such a great, creepy little turn Brooks has in Drive. In fact, like he shaved off his eyebrows as well. It's it's mm. it's an interesting little touch. And um, I don't know. I love Albert Brooks. I love his films. And to see him play this role in this film was one of my, just a, a great highlight. I absolutely loved it. So that's why it's my four. That's, that's a good pull. All right. So my number three is um, maybe a bit of a stretch just because this this actor has been in so many dramatic films um, or at least non-comedy films for so long. But people don't realize that for a long time he was a stand-up comedian and he was in comedic films. I'm talking about Michael Keaton. And my mm-hmm. particular choice for Michael Keaton is his uh, role his kind of meta role as Riggin in Birdman, the the kind of actor in the late stage of his career who came to fame based off of a superhero performance that has dogged him for the rest of his days, much like Mr. Keaton himself. So I had to put it in there because Birdman, I think, is uh, one of the better films I think we've seen in the last 10 years. Yeah, you know, I had Michael Keaton originally as my number five. Remember I said I had to uh, Switch swap it. it out at the last minute? and it, mm-hmm. But it was for... Uh, one good cop, mm. um, where he plays the uh, partner of Anthony Laplaga's character, who I think t- still blows my mind that, that guy's Australian. I don't know what it is. I, it's a, I'll never accept that Anthony Laplaga is Australian. <laughs> Either way, I had Keaton in One Good Cop, where he plays the partner, and his partner gets killed, and he adopts his children, mm. but he's having trouble financially, so it starts trying to ripping off the uh, bad guys who are responsible gotcha. for his partner's death. And uh, I think it was like '91. And uh, I don't know, I always really liked that film, but I realized that Jerry Lewis in King of Comedy was a, was a better film. So uh, my number three then, and I would be shocked if this doesn't end up on Matt's list, but I guess mm-hmm. we'll find out shortly. And that is Bill Murray as uh, Bob Harris in Lost in Translation, mm-hmm. where he plays kind of the aging movie star who goes to Japan to film the, the what it's a whiskey ad, right? Yeah. And he meets Scarlett Johansson, Charlotte, who... Uh, breaking up with her film director boyfriend is loosely based basically on Sofia Coppola's relationship with her uh, boyfriend at the time. Were they married at the time? Mm-hmm. I can't remember now. So, uh, but her relationship with her, her partner at the time, and now I'm blanking on his name as well. 
It's a famous director. What the hell's wrong with me? I don't know. I want to say, is it one of the, is it Wes Anderson? I don't think it's Wes. It's Rome. No, it's Spike Jones. It's one of those yeah, guys. It was right? Spike Jones. It was okay. Spike Jones. Thank you. Okay. But Sandler of Sandler, but Bill Murray's character <laughs> who um, befriends her as the two of them are kind of lost at this time in their lives. And they strike up a, a wonderful um, friendship and it's a beautiful little film. So yeah, Bill Murray and Lost of Translation is my number three. Yeah. Uh, that is my number two. There you go. I don't know what else to say about it besides what Chris said. I think it's really kind of one of the turns where you saw flashes of it with Rushmore, even though that's nominally a comedic film, a comedic role, but kind of uh, Murray's turn into like these quirky indie films. And I think this is probably what really surprised folks of his uh, ability to make a, a dramatic uh, role resound. Yeah. What did he, he did? Was it the razor's edge? Was that him? That did that like a dramatic turn, like in the late eighties. Same thing with Michael Keaton. He did mm-hmm. the uh, was it Clean and Sober mm-hmm. as well. And two, I don't, I don't think I think Birdman has some comedic qualities to it. That's why I would not have considered that for my list. I mean, Lost in Translation does too. I mean, you've got the kind That's of true. ludicrousness of the commercial, the kind of lost in the cultural thing where he has the call girl come and see him. <laughs> the, right, stuff right, like right. That, you know. So. No, you're right. I clearly don't know what I'm talking about. Good, good, <laughs> good point. So my number one and my number two, I've been flipping back and forth, Matt, for about okay. three, four days now. Okay. And I think I'm going to go with this as my number two, just because the sheer intensity of it, I cannot, I don't know, it just it's, it's almost overwhelming at times, unlike my number one. So you may have caught on what I talked about earlier in this show. But it's Adam Sandler and Uncut Gems. Mm. Um, his character, uh, as he's finally gotten what the gem of his dreams and everything, how it ends up unraveling his entire life because mm-hmm. of his gambling. And um, the whole film, it's like you're on a roller coaster the entire time. It does not let up. It is like an action movie that's a drama. It's it's a drama shot like an action film. Mm-hmm. And it's an incredible performance. He should have been nominated for an Oscar, as I said earlier in this show. So that's my two. Yeah, he didn't make my list. Um, I will really. I will completely concede that he is great in that, but I just couldn't bring myself to do it because I hate all those characters so much that I never mm. want to watch that movie again. I didn't have a good time watching that movie, so I'm just. I put it as an honorable mention, but I just couldn't put it on my list. I think that's fair. All yeah. Right. What do you got? All right. So number one then is um, a film that I think I talk about a lot, but Chris, I think hasn't visited much. Maybe my, I don't know if he's even seen it, um, but it's Jim Carrey in his turn as, uh, as uh, uh, Joel Barish in eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. Uh, basically a down on his luck, sad sack who has broken up with his longtime girlfriend and Kate Winslet. And he decides he's going to have this controversial procedure where his brain is altered to destroy all memories of her. And it's kind of played in reverse. It shows the end of the relationship back to the beginning. And he comes to the realization halfway through that, or towards the end that, you know what, there may be some things that are worth holding on to, even if it's ended up in pain at the end. So I think it's a great dramatic turn for Jim Carrey. Um, there's not a rubber face to be seen anywhere in it, which you can't even say for Truman show. Um, so I think it's his best dramatic turn to date. Interesting. Yeah. I have not seen it still. I oh, think okay. I, uh, I do need to get on that because at that time I just had a 
such a disdain for Jim Carrey. <laughs> and I still don't really care for him as an actor right. at all. Right. So, yeah, you I, know, know. I know I gotta, I gotta watch it. I know I do. And a stop clock can be right twice a day, right? That's all I gotta yeah, say. Yeah. <laughs> so my number one is not on Matt's list, okay. which blows my mind. I think it's, maybe it's because the film itself is now a bit of a, I don't know. I don't know if what cliche is the right term, but it's kind of a tired film at this point, okay. I think. But still, at the time, it was a very big movie. It won two Academy Awards, especially for the actor and his performance. And I think his performance in the film still holds up. And I think it's it's still a wonderful, grounded, heartbreaking, but uplifting performance. And of course, I'm talking about Robin Williams and Goodwill Hunting. Mm-hmm. I think that he is absolutely wonderful in that film. The film itself, it's a bit, you know, a little tired at this point mm-hmm. and... But still, he, as the core, I know it's Matt Damon's movie, but really the heart of that movie is Robin Williams. When he talks about what happened to his wife. Yeah. And that it's just, it kills you every time. And he starts laughing about her farting. And it's, <laughs> it's, so, it's so beautiful and pure. Yeah. And it's, it's really, it's wonderful. So it had to be in my number one. It was on my list for a while. Um, but it, honestly, it's been so long since I've seen that film. I don't yeah. have as much of a connection to it anymore. So it's an honorable mention for me, but I, I just couldn't put it on because it's not something I've seen revisited in a long, long time. Same with me. But out of everything that I put on my list, it's the first thing that I thought of. Mm-hmm. It always jumps out at me, just the strength of his performance alone. So, All right. Honorable mentions, Matt. I had Steve Coogan and Philomena. I had Steve Carell and Foxcatcher. Mm-hmm. Melissa McCarthy and Can You Ever Forgive Me. Jonah Hill and Moneyball. Jackie Gleason in The Hustler. Um, I think the big layup is Tom Hanks in Philadelphia. Yeah. And then I had Jamie Foxx in Ray. And I had okay. Olivia Coleman in The Favorite, but that's kind of a, a satire yeah. kind of dramedy too. So what about you? Um, the only thing that we haven't me- – actually, no. You've mentioned basically all of my, my honorable okay. mentions, so I'll, I'll leave it at that. Um, yeah, I don't uh... – I don't have anything to add in the, to the discussion uh, no. with between Sorry Bob. About that. It's okay. Bob Odenkirk, Melissa McCarthy. Um, I really wanted to put Bob Odenkirk on the list, and I was going to do it just to say to give a, a middle finger to Chris, but then I just couldn't do it because that's not what the show's about. It's the big screen, not the small screen, Matt. Yeah. Thanks. So, <laughs> <laughs> what are your five favorite dramatic turns by comedians? Shoot us an email at feedback at thefirstrun.com. We would love to know. Matt, what's coming up uh, next week on The Big Show? Is it a big so, week? Sounds like it's a big week. It is a big week. So this is uh, so this was the week since I'm going on vacation that we're, uh, we did two streaming picks. So Chris is going to make me pay for that by going to the movies twice. And we're going to see Thor, Love and Thunder, as well as if it's playing anywhere where we can see it. Marcel the Shell with shoes on. There you go. So hopefully Marcel will be out wide by then. I'm hoping. Fingers crossed, Matt. Mm-hmm. If not, we'll throw in like the card counter or the novice. A couple of the things we've been trying to catch up with. We'll do that too. In the meantime, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. Do a search for the first run. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Eventually you'll find us. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and give us a review. It'll help other people find the show. And um, I guess that's it. So why don't we, Matt, we'll go ahead and take an extended break. Enjoy, Matt, your time away, and we'll see you all soon. We love you.